Hey there, Conquerors. I'm Mike. We got Tim over here, and this is the Conquering Columbus. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Um, all I just say this is the Conquering Columbus. I left the podcast off, didn't I? I mean, if they're here, they probably they understand where they're at. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think maybe. they're lost. <laughs> I can't believe I just maybe. Did that. Well, you know what? We're gonna leave that in because it's more fun that way. Yeah, I'm so, right with it. Well, Josh isn't here today. No, no. Well, he went off on vacation and left Tim and I here to uh, record this. This introduction for you. So it's going to be a lot more random than usual. Yeah, it's a f weird 4th of July. You yeah, know? it really it's, is. Uh, normally you feel very, it's like a party, right? This this feels like uh, we're still in timeout. Yeah. Probably rightfully so. So Exactly. Yeah. And you know, and we're seeing, like all of a sudden we're seeing cases spike a little bit. People are getting more worried. I got a feeling it's going to be a very subdued 4th of July. Mm. Good news is I can go play golf and socially distance and that's what I'm going to do. All of my friends left town, so I'm just going to. Nap. Yeah, well, <laughs> napping, really napping seems like a good plan, but, yeah. uh, you know, you can always go watch fireworks somewhere. Or, you See, know, I have just, a camper van, and um, I'm single, so I don't have anybody to take it with, so I'm letting a friend of my So you don't even have the camper take van. Take it. Now, well, the, they're going to use it, so at least it's getting, you know what right, I mean? Right, right. It's, 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 so it's getting the use. vicariously through my vehicle, I'm letting someone else have a really good weekend. So I feel like I've done my part, so I'll probably just watch more of The Office, like always, and- all right. Call well, the weekend. If, if I play golf on Sunday, I'll let you know. Yeah, give me a call. Maybe I'll come out. All right, all right. Cool. And uh, yeah, so this week, Rachel Friedman, CEO at Tenfold. Great interview. Had a lot of fun. And Rachel's got a lot of expertise on, you know, marketing, branding, just kind of everything to do with that space. So I, I really enjoyed the interview. Yeah, I had a lot of questions about, you know, I understand culture is important, mm -hmm. but how do you teach that or define that, you know, mm -hmm. with design and whatnot. So that's very interesting to me because it's not something I'm good at. But I, I think uh, the conversation was cool. It was definitely informative. And they actually have a podcast that they just started called, yeah. uh, what is it called? Tenfold Talks. Tenfold so if wanna, Talks. If you really like podcasts, once you're done listening to all of ours. I mean, you must really like podcasts if you're listening yeah. to ours. So. <laughs> You've got deep down right. in the depths. <laughs> Check out other Columbus podcasts. Check out Tenfold Talks. Yeah, it was a great conversation. We had a lot of fun. I think you'll learn a lot. Yeah, and uh, let's do it. So we'll uh, we'll be right back. We'll talk to you guys here in a few seconds. This is Conquering Columbus. Falling through the air, and I fell 450 feet through the air before I slammed into the mountain the first time. Hey there, Conquerors. Today on the show, we have Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24-7, 365. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Greg Oden. Push yourself. You know, we hear about a lot of people who in the times that they've struggled and pushed themselves the most is when they figured out the most about themselves. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our product, but more importantly, I believe in our people. The Ohio State University President, Dr. Michael Drake. When you really take yourself to your limit and then push yourself to do your very best. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Ullman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus, and that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. White Castle CEO, Lisa Ingram. As human beings, I think we really like stability and doing things the same, but everybody knows you don't really grow. And so the other great thing about human beings is we want to learn new things. Urban Meyer. 
there's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Rachel Friedman joining us. And Rachel is the founder and CEO of Tenfold, an award-winning strategy and creative firm here in Columbus. And prior to founding Tenfold in 2014, Rachel was the EVP of marketing and branding for Continental Office and spent years working for industry innovator Herman Miller. Rachel has over 25 years of experience in marketing strategy, branding, and design we're really excited to have her on today to learn more about her story and Tenfold. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Rachel. Thanks so much. Happy yeah. to be here. It's great to have you here on a uh, Thursday evening. And typically where we like to start, just get a little bit of background on yourself. Uh, anything from childhood to school and earlier roles in your career, kind of everything that leads up to today. I know that's a lot. Yeah, sometimes, so. sometimes hard question to answer. Where did you, did you grow up here in, in Ohio or Columbus? I did. I'm born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, so you grew up here. Um, what about family, siblings, parents? I have one brother who's three years older than I am. And um, so I, I grew up in Columbus, graduated from Bexley High School, went off to school at that school up north oh, at no. the University of Michigan. Oh, oh man. man. Why'd you do that? <laughs> I, well, I'm out. I'm just <laughs> And then came back to Columbus, so didn't think I was going to. But at the year that I graduated, which was in 1992, if you can believe that. Um, so you were, what, three years old when you graduated college? Exactly. Wow. That's so kind of you. Um, I, I really had aspirations to be in either Washington, uh, D.C. or Chicago. But at the time, in 92, the economy was horrible. And I ended up back here in Columbus and... I was really fortunate to get a job. So I started my career in 92 as a designer, always focused on workplace and commercial environments and um, worked as a designer for a number of years and then ended up working for Herman Miller kind of seven years into my career. And during my time at Herman Miller, I was really focused on helping clients align their workplace strategy with their business strategy in a really sort of consultative role and um, realized that I, I had always had a passion for design, but I found that I really had a passion for business. So while working for Herman Miller full-time, I went back to school and got my MBA at The Ohio State University. So now I have degrees from both. And um, really focused on brand and strategy, and that sort of led to what evolved in my career to being uh, executive vice president, as you had mentioned, at Continental Office, and then eventually starting this firm called Tenfold in 2014. So the really important question, who do you root for <laughs> at the game? I root for Michigan. And oh, and uh, you got to go with your undergrad team. You just have to. Um, but I will say growing up in Columbus and living in Columbus, it's not easy, especially over the last 10 years to be uh, a Michigan fan. Yeah. If you like losing, they're, they're great <laughs> exactly. <to follow. laughs> exactly. Well, when I was in college, um, gosh, we won the national championship in basketball my freshman year with Ramil Robinson and Glenn Rice. And then I had the Fab Five yeah. my mm -hmm. senior year, which was amazing. And then on the football side of things, I think we you know, went to the Rose Bowl like two or three times. And You were yeah. real close I, to another one short of Chris Weber, who then went on to obviously have an amazing career. But yeah, the, yes. the, the, the phantom timeout. That's right. right. That's yeah. right. We'll never, that was an we'll, incredible team, though. We'll never live that down. <laughs> he did all right. He did all right in the NBA. He made about $150 million. Yeah, it's not too bad. 
Uh, the president wrote him a, uh, speaking of 92, uh, the, uh, Clinton wrote him a letter too. He was like, hey, don't worry. You did a good job. Like, <laughs> thought like if you, if you make a mistake, but the president writes you a letter saying like, it's okay. Like, I feel like you're right. Yeah. You can't, you can't have messed up. It must've been a really big mistake if the president had to. That's <laughs> true. I don't yeah. know. I don't know that he's ever quite lived it down, but yeah. so I have three children. My oldest is a sophomore in college. I have a daughter who uh, is a senior this year in high school and graduating during this crazy time. And she actually will be attending the University of Michigan in the fall. So that's kind of exciting. And my youngest is a, a boy, Miles, who is in high school. So going back to your early days of design, when you're when you're looking at workplaces and you're at Herman Miller, um, I don't know if they do it similar to, uh, and I'm going to forget the name, another Michigan company, uh, Steelcase. I've heard employs a lot of, and I'm also going to mess this name up. Is it anthropologists? Is that what it is? Where they study the environment and how people interact with it? Is it was it similar to Herman Miller? Is it a lot of designing along with people who are studying human interaction and how they behave and what our natural tendencies are? Yeah, Herman Miller is really actually very well known for their research and design. So spend a lot of time studying the world of work and people and how they interact. And so. Um, that always led to some really innovative products and and they were kind of widely respected as the innovator in the industry for a very long time. And so that was very helpful in my role in terms of consulting with clients, always feeling like we had sort of the best of the thought leadership in the industry. I think personally for me, it was really beneficial because it got me very interested and curious about the people side of, of the business. It really wasn't about selling a product. It was really about what that product would enable in the workplace. And that really sort of awakened in me, I think, this idea that workplace really could have an impact on business strategy. And then a little bit later in my career is what really led to my interest in company culture and really trying to figure out how you can define and articulate company culture and then how you can manage it over time, which is um, something that we we do at Tenfold and offer to our clients. Our first sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. What triggered that that focus, right? So what made you interested in that? How did you That's start thinking question. about it? Well, I think because over my career, I had worked for companies that I felt like had great culture. I also saw companies who had great culture migrate or change and sort of lose their edge as it relates to culture. And always sort of having that um, point of view or feeling and belief and my own personal experience that, you know, if you subscribe to the culture eat strategy for breakfast sort of quote, I was really curious about that because I felt like People believed that, but yet when it came to culture, they really weren't doing much about it. So they would say culture is strategy for breakfast, but then if you asked them to describe their culture, they really struggled to tell you not just what it was about their culture, but why, what made their culture special, what was really going on in the culture. And, you know, I found that leaders could say whether it was good or bad, people could have that feeling, you know, it was kind of palpable or tangible, but whether it was super healthy or maybe there was something dysfunctional going on, they really couldn't tell you what it was. They couldn't put their finger on it and they couldn't tell you why. So I, I always found that very curious and that that was an opportunity to solve for, that if we could really help clients 
better define that and articulate that, that then they could manage it. They could protect and reinforce what was great and magical about it. They could help guide their team on a journey of culture transformation if that's what they needed to do going from good to great, or perhaps there was something dysfunctional about it and they could address those things and and get back on track. And I also felt like clients really had an opportunity in an M&A environment where, you know, how do I define who I am? How do I define who the target is? And how do I figure out where the gaps are in terms of our cultures and how we're going to move forward together to realize these synergies that we're supposed to realize with with some sort of, of, of an acquisition or an event. So where do you feel like your knowledge from culture began to cultivate? Did, were you, did you feel like you were a part of an exceptional culture in, in the different work environments you're working in before, before Tenfold? Yeah, I think that um, my time spent at Herman Miller, I think really opened my eyes to what great com- company culture could be. And they had a really long heritage and history around um, innovation and diversity and respecting different points of view. They really approached things from a design thinking, so very human-centered. And that really just proliferated throughout the entire organization. So I, I definitely had that experience. And then, you know, I've had experiences where, you know, even at Herman Miller, there were some changes in leadership and there were some things that really just sort of fundamentally changed about the organization. And those things happen over a period of time. And sometimes those things are necessary and, um, you know, based on where the organization is and how they need to compete in the market and in the landscape that they're in. But one of the things that was really exciting to me about starting my own company was building my co- company culture from scratch. Were you pretty uh, passionate about chairs and furniture or was that kind of just a, a coincidence working for them? Well, I, I had always studied design, so I was mm-hmm. really passionate about, about interior design. And yeah, chairs tend to be like one of the main focal points you know, learning about the design, you know, obviously like the Eames and lots of stuff, chairs like that, that are like became pieces of art rather than just function. Yeah. The mid-century modern, mm-hmm. all of the beautiful designs that they created, which are still really iconic today. Was um, that a factor in choosing them or was it just kind of like a nice addition? Yeah, I think it's, it's yes. And it's, it's again, I think more about the heritage of the designers that, that Herman Miller embraced and cultivated during those periods of time and how they were just really skillful and artful about bringing outside designers into the organization and combining them with their internal R&D teams and then creating these really innovative products. But for me, it was really about what do the products do Mm -hmm. and how does it really connect to these businesses that I was working with? And they really ranged across industry so, you know, I, I worked with a small portfolio of, of some of Herman Miller's sort of largest, most complex clients, and they ranged in industry from government contractors to manufacturers, to retail companies, to insurance companies, to healthcare companies. And that's, for me, what was really exciting, because I think sort of at my heart, I'm a strategist, and I really like studying the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and trying to figure out how you can build strategies that enable enable organizations to win. So what's the journey been like so far for Tenfold? I mean, coming from you know the beginning to now, what's changed? What have been the big moments? What are the things that really stand out to you along the way? I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting to look back because it, it, it seems like in some ways, it seems like a really long time ago, and in other ways, it seems like it was just yesterday. So I started the company um, literally by myself. I still don't have any partners or investors. 
um, I started as one employee, <laughs> me, myself, and I, and and then uh, hired my first employee in, in June of the of the first year that that I founded the business. What what year is this? 2014. Our next sponsor is FMX. FMX is a computerized maintenance management system that helps organizations accelerate their operational success. And FMX enables you to streamline processes, increase asset productivity, and turn actionable insights into meaningful results. If you'd like to learn more, check them out at their website, gofmx.com. That's G-O-F-M-X.com. The Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is a local nonprofit that's committed to helping their partners build upon their strengths. They turn visions of what if into sustainable resources for the community. So as you go from ideation to creation, what did that process look like for you? I mean, were you still doing it in your evenings and weekends to start the business before you jumped off or did you just cut it clean and split off? Yeah, so I've explained to people before, I kind of feel like I have somewhat of a non-traditional experience or trajectory into the world of entrepreneurship because I had been working for 22 years when I made this decision. I had a very secure, very lucrative role. And uh, for me, it was really about not looking back on my life and having regrets that I didn't do this. It was something I really wanted to do. I wanted to, always wanted to have my own business and felt like um, if I didn't do it, then I was never going to do it. And so in terms of the ideation to the creation, you know, I was, I was working a full-time job. I was extremely committed to my role and late nights and, and weekends sort of pondering and thinking about how can I make, how can I make this happen? I mean, I had major responsibilities. Um, at the time I had been recently divorced, three kids. And, you know, that was a really frightening decision to leave all of that behind to try to pursue something that was really important to me. So what did the, what did the evenings and uh, weekends look like? I mean, did you start building out a business plan? Did you identify clients that you'd want to work with? Did you even know what you were going to do that was unique and and differentiated within the marketplace? I did. So the business, the actual idea or the value propos- proposition of the business was something that I had created when I was at Continental, when I was at EVP there. And it was um, a very small, teeny tiny capability. And I think that was one of the things that was a challenge for me was I was really passionate about the business. I really felt that it had strategic value. I felt like it could really grow and be profitable, but I also felt like in that environment, it wasn't going to thrive. And in my role at, you know, being responsible for all these other things in the company that were really core to the business, I really didn't have the time to dedicate to this small little startup I also think it's really hard to have a startup in a very mature and commoditized industry, um, which is the indus- the furniture industry. It's pretty, you know, it's very mature. So it's not a low barrier of entry either. Can't just go out and mass produce, <laughs> you know, with no money and stuff. Well, like that. the 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 furniture side of things. I mean, we I worked for a distributor, so mm-hmm. you know, it actually isn't a very high barrier to entry to oh. to become a distributor of of products, but. Even your own, like if you were going to go manufacture them? Um, it's possible. I mean, there's plenty of manufacturers that will private label mm-hmm. certain designs. Um, but for me, that really wasn't my, my passion was the, this little startup capability, which was around how to leverage space as a medium to communicate. So I'd sort of taken my design background and then I'd also taken my brand and strategy background and sort of smushed the two together and said, you know, we had created spaces in, in that company and in my role that were great spaces, 
Um, but there was really nothing about them that said who the company was. There was nothing about those installations that really spoke to the brand and culture story. So what, what the idea was to leverage the investment in the real estate, primarily the walls (laughs) to, um, engage in a, in a creative expression of the brand and culture through graphics and immersive design and technology. So it was a departure from the furniture world, um, in a pretty significant way. And so what I always felt very torn when I was there that I couldn't dedicate more of my time to this little startup. And, um, you know, it was really through a spreadsheet exercise where I was challenging myself on how to grow the business tenfold, you know, how to, how to take it from where it was to, to growing it tenfold over a five-year period that I discovered that, you know, this is something I really want to do. And I think it's going to take all of my time to do it. And I really want to take this risk and I want to give it a try. So I had saved the file tenfold, not ever realizing that would become the name of the company, but that's how the name of the company happened. That's cool. Did you know that it was going to be successful right off the bat? Were there, were there points throughout the first few months or weeks or years, whatever it is, where you thought, hey, this, this might not work. Maybe I'm going down a rabbit hole. No, I mean, I, I, I had a lot of confidence, you know, at that point in my career, obviously I had a lot of experience. And I think that as I look at other entrepreneurs who maybe made these decisions rolling out of their college dorm room, which I totally respect, I couldn't imagine how, how I could have done what I've done without having all the experience that I had working for both a large private company and a large public company over my career. And I think that it's, really beneficial. And I would recommend it to a lot of people to get those types of experiences because it's served me really well as we've continued to grow on how to build in processes and systems and technology and policy. And, you know, some of the things that you need to create some structure in a startup environment. Um, but I had a lot of confidence that that's not to say that there haven't been sort of those white knuckled moments of, oh my gosh, you know, how are we going to make this happen? I think hiring your first employee is one of the hardest things to do, getting out of doing everything yourself. And, um, you know, we're a team now of 16 and every hire we make, I think there's that pressure as the owner um, to make sure that you're building a sustainable business that you're going to be able to support your folks. And I can't, I can say that's never been more true than it has been over the last 11 weeks you know, we've made the decision at Tenfold, we were going to get through this together. So I know a lot of firms who have had a lot of layoffs. We've been really fortunate to sort of hunker down together and, and we've got a solid plan. We're working the plan and we're really fortunate to have some clients who've decided to move forward during this time, which we're really, really grateful for. And it's put us in a nice position. And we were talking earlier before the show started about some of the challenges that have resulted from current situation, right? We're all working from home, working remotely. And, you know, I would have thought that just from an observer standpoint, someone who doesn't know much about the design industry, I would have thought, hey, you know, design, that sort of thing could probably handle that from remote pretty well. But as we talked, you'd mentioned there are some challenges for your team working remotely. Yeah, I think that inherently in our process and something that's really important to us and to our culture is that there's a a high level of collaboration. And so you can collaborate in a virtual environment, but it is different. It's different. And I think what I've described to a lot of people and have found a lot of people who have agreed and, and had similar experiences that in those first few weeks, it was very energetic. It was kind of manic almost where everyone was figuring out how to convert everything over. 
And uh, we were extraordinarily busy and focused on all of those things on how, how we transition. And it was very energizing and it was very surprising to be like, wow, you know, we can really do this. Like, this is like, this is working. We're all, we have our morning stand up at nine o'clock, our virtual meeting every morning. We sort of set our intentions for the day, kick things off, connect with everyone. And I will say it has, it has worked. Our team has been amazing. But I also believe and have noticed that there's a life cycle to this experience. And I do believe that it has started off very high and very energetic and very manic. Um, and then as the weeks sort of drone on, um, and I don't think any of us thought it was going to be like this long, but it, it is, and it's probably going to continue for a while. But, you know, there's this life cycle where it starts to, it starts to wane um, and people are feeling a little uh, disconnected, um, perhaps lack of motivation, struggling with focus. You know, even even team members who don't have distractions at home are saying, you know, just having a hard time focusing. And I think for us and for many, it's this energy that we feed off of each other. And when you lose all of those spontaneous, unplanned interactions with teammates day after day and with leadership day after day, it definitely has a trade-off and it definitely has a toll on the business. And as one of those people who was at home that doesn't have the distractions, you also don't have the distractions. So in a good way, you know, to, to separate up the, the mundane. I live in a place, now I work in the place. And yes, you can be motivated all the time, but as someone who's creative, just sometimes getting up and being away from something comes back and then you just see it a different way. I've designed before and just been stuck, get up for 10 minutes, you know, and come back. But if you're stuck in this, bubble of sleep, eat, work, everything. It just, you can run into that wall for sure. Whereas I have friends who have two kids under three years old and I'm watching his distractions, you know, he can't get anything done. And then there's other people who can't get it done for the same reason. And like you were saying, you know, as, as a creative being in the room with somebody, you can communicate, but collaboration and communication are very, very different. And depending on how people work, and a lot of times having that person, because you can send a revision, that person looks at it, and then they send it back, and now you're a day later. Whereas if you're in the same room, you're like, oh, no, change that. Oh, no, change that. And now we've done two days worth of email revisions in 30 seconds. You know? That's right. So there definitely is the, you can work remotely, but is it the most productive for, for most people who fall in that role? I, don't, I, don't, I agree with you. I don't think so. There may be like a short time where you're like, oh, this is new and fun. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, that's why we didn't do that originally. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I think really the the toll that we're talking about is the toll that it takes on company culture. And if you believe that that is a unique strategic differentiator for your organization, which we believe is at the heart of every great company, that's what really hangs in the balance is the ability to build and sustain really positive, dynamic company culture. Hey there, Conquerors. We want to take a quick moment to talk about one of our sponsors, Studio 301. Kyle and his team have helped us redesign our website, taking the podcast in a new direction that we truly love. And we have some incredible guests here on the show. And Studio 301 has given us a website that reflects the caliber of the people that join us. And the Studio 301 team can help you with everything from brand strategy and redesigns to market research, videography, social media overhauls, and a whole lot more. You can go check them out at studio301.org. That's studio301.org. Even the aspect of critiquing uh, design work seemed, so I spent a little bit of time at a graphic design and strategic marketing company, and the aspect of the designers working together and talking about what they did or didn't like about, you know, designers are, for one, amazingly open to, to positive and negative feedback, which I thought was kind of remarkable, but that can be so much more difficult, I would imagine, 
remotely through text, through webinars, not being able to fully pick up on somebody's energy or um, the tone that they're expressing. Have you guys faced any difficulties with that? So we we're using a couple different platforms. So Teams is one, and we're also using Zoom, like so many other people, or we're on whatever video conferencing platform our clients are. We definitely have a rule at Temple that's cameras on, so it makes a huge difference. Um, when you can actually see everyone and you can see some of those gestures and reactions. Um, so we do what we can. And I think that it helps us to really read the room. Having said that, I think it is a challenging environment. And, um, you know, sort of, I had had one uh, colleague say to me, you know, you have to play to, to the back of the room, kind of like the theater analogy. So you have to sort of use your, you know, over gesture <laughs> to capture their attention. If you're going to try to lead somebody through a workshop or a meeting for an hour, hour and a half, how do you, how do you really captivate them in that environment? How do you sort of pull through the digital display to, to authentically connect? And I think that's where the challenge is. And, um, and I think that's a challenge both with internal meetings as well as external meetings. I would equate it to like dating. Whereas FaceTime is nice, you can see the person, but you're never going, there's like a level, there's a barrier that is never going to reach. And so, yes, you can accomplish getting to know someone over FaceTime and you can see them and read their, but you know, the same with work, like you can see them, but I think there's like a level of. Tim, you're about to get a lot of messages from everybody out there that's doing (laughs) long distance relationships. Oh, trust me. I was in a band for 10 years. You want to talk about (laughs) failed relationships, trying to do long, long distance. They're just, there's a connection level that, that, um, if you're being honest, you're not going to reach. Not that you're going to date your coworkers, but I think that, that that analogy holds up in a sense of where, yeah, I can see you, but our energy is in different places. Whereas if we're in the same room, we kind of, the team mentality can get lost. Yeah, exactly. I think that that speaks to developing authentic relationships, which again is sort of the foundation of building great company culture. And, you know, the analogy I've used is, or the example I've used is, you know, lately we've all probably been invited to and participated in some sort of virtual happy hour or some sort of family virtual conference call to connect with everyone. And while those have been really helpful during this period of quarantine, if someone just tomorrow said, hey, you know what? This is just the way it's going to be. We're always going to have virtual happy hours and you're going to connect with family via these virtual conference calls. You know, we would all sort of surely mourn that as a huge loss. And it's really no different than how it feels with people that you work with every day. It's the same principle. It's the same loss of connection. Mm-hmm. And to your point, that sort of energy that we that we relate to and, and connect with. So I think it can be, the, this whole process has been very isolating for a lot of people. And yeah, I've experienced that to a yeah. ridiculous level. <laughs> there is this weird notion though, I, was, I forget who I was listening to talk to the other day, but they, they spoke about the new normal that humans go through. So when you identify like this is the way it's going to be. And I think that we've adapted quickly over the last few months to understanding these are COVID conditions. But I think there's this bright spot that's kind of shining at the end of the tunnel for everybody where they know, okay, I do believe at some point it's going to come back, which makes the conditions now a little bit more unbearable, you know, because it's, it's a new normal, but you're kind of like, well, it'll end soon. You know, eventually we'll overcome this. Uh, you know, I think things will change. So I have not referred to this as the new normal. This is the abnormal. And I think it's an important distinction because this is a period of time that's transitional and it's going to last. We don't know how long, but we think maybe, you know, 12 to 18 months, maybe less, hopefully not more than that. But this is a transitionary period. This is not our new normal. What will be the new normal is the post-pandemic, 
normal. That's the next normal. And I do think that our world is going to change, but it's not going to look like what it looks like today. And I think that this is how we're looking at it in terms of tenfold, in terms of, you know, our shift and how we better serve our clients. But it's also how we're advising our clients to think about what they want to do with workplace, both the physical workplace and the virtual workplace, and to start to really think about things in terms of that post-pandemic world. So we've kind of beat around the bush a little bit about what Tenfold is and what you guys do, but uh, maybe for the listeners, if you want to like wrap it into a few sentences and let them know what are you guys focused on and then transition that, what are the goals for the future? Yeah. So what we like to say is that we help our clients reveal and reflect the magic of brand and culture. And we do that or accomplish that through two practices at Tenfold. One is our place practice, which is where we leverage space as a medium to communicate. So as I was mentioning earlier, the actual physical environment. So primarily the walls, but sometimes we'll do something hanging from the ceiling or something on the floor. But we study how different target audiences move through the workplace, move through different types of environments. And as such, we develop what that content or that story is and how we want people to experience that as they move through the physical space. So it's a highly visual, highly creative service. We combine graphics design with interior design and industrial design. We do um, a lot of technology display and immersive experiences as well to create those unique experiences. So that's the place practice. And then we have um, the culture practice at Tenfold, which is really focused around helping clients define and articulate corporate culture. So we leverage a really unique research methodology to sort of get to that thing that people have such a hard time describing, that elusive description of their culture. And, and then we, we help them articulate it so that they can activate it and then help their organizations transform culture if they're on a journey of transformation or to, like I said before, sort of protect and reinforce what's great about it so that they don't lose it. So that's kind of what we what we do at Tenfold. The, the practices work together for some clients. You know, they can leverage both. We think that's most powerful. Um, but we have clients that engage us for one practice and and not the other. And so they can stand alone as well. How we're looking to the future, we think that What we're doing really fits squarely with sort of where the world's going with work. I believe that our culture practice will really serve the virtual work world really well because we're creating powerful narrative and articulation that's going to be really important in those environments. And then on the physical side of things, I believe that the workplace post-pandemic is going to become more important than it ever has. And the reason I believe that is because I believe coming out of this, we're going to have a blended work world. It's going, work is going to live in the virtual world more than it has in the past. And it's also going to work in the physical world for all the reasons that we were just talking about earlier. And so how do companies create a fluid and a consistent and sort of a frictionless work experience for their employees moving between those two environments could be daily, every other day, weekly, all the time. So I think it creates a really unique opportunity for us to add value in those areas. Hey, everybody, we're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. 
Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, like, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And uh, if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. So yeah. how would you define your culture then? And part B to that question, do you find a company that defines culture for other companies hard to define the culture of that company? <laughs> Well, if it's hard to define the culture of, of, of your company, of our company. Yeah, Cause you said well, it's hard for a lot of companies to find. So is that for you? Yes. So we actually did the research on ourselves mm-hmm. because we have a practice of eating our own cooking mm-hmm. at tenfold. We think that's really important. Makes sense. Absolutely. And so the reason it is hard is because it is sort of a subcon like the decisions that we make as consumers, as an example, and we, we use a lot of research experience that, that we have in consumer behavior, and we sort of have flipped that to the consumer, the culture, which is the employee. And a lot of the decisions that we make as a consumer are really driven by subconscious psychological drivers mm-hmm. or underpinnings. Mm-hmm. Um, so we think we're buying something because of the features and benefits of it, what it looks like, you know, how it functions. But really, it's solving something else for us at a much more sort of subconscious level. So the research enables us to get to some of those insights. So as it relates to Tenfold, what really highlighted for us was a big piece of our culture was related to this gift of attunement that we have. It is really our ability to sort of connect with people and with organizations and see things that maybe they don't see in themselves. So it really comes from a place of empathy, which is not necessarily uncommon with creatives, pretty highly sensitive people, mm-hmm. and again, highly attuned to to, to others and, and their special gifts. We also uncovered that we have sort of a unique, what I would describe as a, as a mythic family. So family isn't always a great analogy in businesses because it can sometimes mean they, they're not, they don't have appropriate boundaries, but that's where the, the word mythic comes into play. And so that's really sort of feeling a connectedness to the people that you work with that transcends sort of a normal work relationship. And I always say to my team, you know, there's the saying, you, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. Mm-hmm. And I always say, well, you know, where you work, that's about the closest thing you're going to ever get to picking your family. So you want to make sure you, you pick it correctly. And then for us, lack of ego is a really big driver in our culture. So that um, kind of that magic and collaboration really doesn't happen if you have big egos in the room. And so we have a very collaborative um, culture where if we're going to have a sense of of ego, it's really about tenfold. It's not about an individual. Um, Yeah. Let's go with the best idea, not my idea. Yeah. And it's really about, you were talking, someone was talking about feedback and you were talking about feedback earlier. And it's a really important part of our culture to get really comfortable giving and receiving constructive feedback because it all comes from a really good place. Mm-hmm. It all comes with the best of intentions. And the reality is, is that our culture is a culture that really wants it. They, everyone wants to be better and to grow and to develop. And the only way to do that is to really solicit and, and give really honest, constructive feedback. It makes our work better and it makes the growth and the development of our team, you know, that much more compelling. Absolutely. And uh, Rachel, I think that's a good place to pivot towards one of our last questions of the show. It's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. And without <laughs> telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? 
I've lived uncomfortably every day, I think. <laughs> um, I think when you're a business owner and you're an entrepreneur and you're growing, you're growing, and we definitely have a focus on growth, it is uncomfortable. I talk about it as being, I've described it before as flying on a trapeze, which would be like super fun if you had this net below you. But when you don't have the net, it can be a harrowing experience. So the highs are really high. The lows are really low. That can be very uncomfortable. You know, I pivot back and forth between, you know, feeling like, you know, everything is going to fall apart to, oh my gosh, we got to, we got to invest. We got to grow. We got to, you know, hire five more people. So it's an interesting journey. I love it. And it's not for the, the weak hearted or the nervous ones, I guess it's, you gotta, you gotta get comfortable being uncomfortable. (laughs) It's just part of the deal. Well said, Rachel. And thanks so much for taking the time to share your story here with us in Conqueror yeah, Columbus. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Super fun. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.